It's the 3rd of June in the year of our salvation, 2007. And you're back with Father Zed and another podcast. Oggi il modernismo del novecentismo rinnovano tutto va E l'usanze antiche sempre ci So ricordi che spariscono Today we welcome back our frequent guest, St. Augustine of Hippo, who died in 430. Uh, We'll have uh, part of his 10th book of the Confessions. And in the 10th book there is a phrase which is one of the most famous passages in all of Christian literature. That makes it one of the most famous phrases in all of Western literature. We're going to hear some of the tenth book, and we're also going to talk about the Most Holy Trinity. How do we even begin to talk about the confessions of St. Augustine? Well, aside from the theological and spiritual depth of this work, the confessions changed Western literature forever. For example, it's really the first of what we might call an autobiographical work. And in fact, uh, Augustine's Confessions is an autobiographical work, but it's so much more. And it is structured in 13 books. And he wrote this between uh, 397 and 398, when he was in his mid-40s. And thus he was ready, uh, as all of us are in our mid-40s, ready for a deep self-examination. I don't want to say midlife crisis, because I don't think that's what's going on in Augustine's life, but he's being very introspective at this point. He speaks in the first person in this book, and the style is that of an extended prayer raised to God. And from the autobiographical point of view, and you know, pretty much roughly following the classic structure of the ages of a man's life, you know, you talk about the six ages of man and seven ages of man, roughly following that structure, Augustine tells us about his growing up and about his youth and his education and his early manhood in Carthage and then his journey to Italy where he became the court orator in Milan and uh, there in Milan meeting Ambrose, the great Ambrose, and then uh, the conclusion of his conversion to Christianity and his return to North Africa. And along the way, we get a picture of Augustine's friends and the people who influenced his life, like his mother, St. Monica, who died during their journey back to North Africa after Augustine's baptism by Ambrose. And theologically, the work concerns the nature of sin and of grace and the meaning of memory. And then in the last three books, which are the most allegorical of the whole work, he looks at Genesis and the Trinity and also the nature of time. 
Now, the book we will hear from today, book 10, is the culmination of the more autobiographical section of the Confessions. And throughout the Confessions, we hear Augustine speaking about his lifelong search for the truth which had eluded him for so many years because he deluded himself and he was holding himself away from what was far closer than he was to himself. And the Confessions uh, is an extended exercise, therefore, in trying to put into words his interior search for an encounter with God a God who is truth and light and beauty. Now, in order to get at what the Confessions is all about, we, it'll help us to understand that this word confession or confessions, in Latin, confessiones, uh, means far more than just confession. Like, we automatically think uh, that this has to do with confessions of sins. And that's true. That does uh, uh, concern what confessions is all about. But it means more than that. The word confession simultaneously implies not just a confession of sins, but also a profession of belief, an outward expression of faith in God. So at its heart, the confessions is an argument against skepticism. It's an assent of the mind to God, which then brings us, who are the readers or the listeners, along with it. We get swept up in Augustine's own intense and compelling personal narrative which is not just a confession of sins and the things that he had done that were wrong and it is that but it's also how he found himself in the midst of these errors and then uh, came through to another understanding we are swept up along with him in this process now in book 10 we come to the point where we're wrapping up the autobiographical section of the Confessions. And this is where we begin to transition into the most uh, theological of, part of the work, which is the last three books or so. And Augustine, uh, at this point, therefore, has to go from you know recounting what happened in his life into this final kind of deep self-analysis. And I don't mean that in any kind of like Freudian sense. He's really looking at himself and examining himself very, very carefully with brutal honesty, with real clarity. Because all this time he's been dealing with, uh, in, the, in the previous books, in almost like a, what's the famous phrase, like a remembrance of things past, right? And he is now, in this book, looking at who he is at this point. And he begins, therefore, to examine the nature of memory itself and why he's bothering to write this book at all. And he's trying to explain how we come to God. And God who is, as I said before, closer to us than we are to ourselves. And in looking at memory and how it relates to ourselves, Augustine has to explore the nature of prayer. And therefore, also, the necessity for a mediator between God and man, who is, the, of course, the man Jesus Christ. He is the Word made flesh. Now, one of the things you're going to want to listen to in this reading is medical imagery. I don't mean, you know, band-aids and scalpels and stuff like that. Christ is described as a physician, the medicus, the one who puts things to right in our soul and heals our defects. You're going to hear Augustine talking about himself as being blind and deaf and senseless and cold and thirsting, and then Christ puts things to right. 
So, look, we could talk about, you know, the confessions for hours and hours and hours, and maybe I'll do that in another podcast, but what we want to do right now is get right into this little section from Book 10, which was uh, the other day in the Office of Readings. Where did I find you in order to make your acquaintance in the first place? You could not have been in my memory before I learned to know you. Where then could I have found you in order to learn of you, if not in yourself, far above me? Place has here no meaning. Further away from you or toward you we may travel, but place there is none. O truth, you hold sovereign sway over all who turn to you for counsel, and to all of them you respond at the same time, however diverse their pleas. Clear is your response, but not all hear it clearly. They all appeal to you about what they want, but do not always hear what they want to hear. Your best servant is the one who is less intent on hearing from you what accords with his own will, and more on embracing with his will what he has heard from you. Late have I loved you, beauty, so ancient and so new. Late have I loved you. Lo, you were within, but I outside, seeking there for you. And upon the shapely things you have made, I rushed headlong, I misshapen. You were with me, but I was not with you. They held me back far from you, those things which would have no being were they not in you. You called, shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance, I gasped. And now I pant for you, I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. When at last I cling to you with my whole being, there will be no more anguish or labor for me, and my life will be alive indeed, alive because filled with you. But now it is very different. Anyone whom you fill, you also uplift. But I am not full of you, and so I am a burden to myself. Joys over which I ought to weep do battle with sorrows that should be matter for joy, and I do not know which will be victorious. But I also see griefs that are evil at war in me with joys that are good and I do not know which will win the day. This is agony, Lord. Have pity on me. It is agony. See, I do not hide my wounds. You are the physician, and I am sick. You are merciful. I in need of mercy. Is not human life on earth a time of testing? 
who would choose troubles and hardships? You command us to endure them, but not to love them. No one loves what he has to endure, even if he loves the endurance, for although he may rejoice in his power to endure, he would prefer to have nothing that demands endurance. In adverse circumstances, I long for prosperity, and in times of prosperity, I dread adversity. What middle ground is there between these two, where human life may be free from trial? Woe betide worldly prosperity, and woe again from fear of disaster and evanescent joy. But woe, woe, and woe again upon worldly adversity, from envy of better fortune, the hardship of adversity itself, and the fear that endurance may falter. Is not human life on earth a time of testing without respite? on your exceedingly great mercy, and on that alone rests all my hope. Ex Confessionum Libris Sancti Augustini Episcopi Ubite in veni ut dicerem te, neque enim iam eras in memoria mea priusquam te dicerem, ubi ergo in veni te ut dicerem te, nisi in te supra me. Et nusquam locus, et recedimus et accedimus et nusquam locus, Ubique veritas, presides omnibus consulentibus te, simulque respondes omnibus diversa consulentibus. Liquide tu respondes, sed non liquide omnes audiunt. Omnes unde volunt consulunt, sed non semper quod volunt audiunt. Optimus minister tuus est, qui non magis intuetur hoc a te audire quod ipse voluerit, sed potius hoc velle quod a te audierit. Sero te amavi, pulcritudo, tam antiqua et tam nova, sero te amavi. Erece intus eras, et ego foris, et ibi te querebam. Et in ista formosa que ficisti deformis iruebam. Mecum eras et tecum non eram. Ea me tenebant longe a te, que si in te non essent, non essent. Vocasti et clamasti, et rupisti suditate meam, Corrucasti, splenduisti, et fugasti ce citatem meam, fragrasti et duxi spiritum et anhelo tibi, gustavi et surio et sitio, detigisti me et exarsi in pacem tuam. Cum in hesero tibi, ex omnime nusquam erit mihidolor et labor, et viva erit vita mea, 
Folta plena te. Nunc autem, quoniam quem tu imples sublivaseum, quoniam tui plenus nondum sum, onri mihi sum. Contendunt letitiae me flende cum letandis meroribus, et ex qua partes tet victoria, nescio. Hei mihi, Domine, miserere mei, contendunt merores mei mali cum gaudis bonis, et ex qua partes tet victoria nescio. Hei mihi, Domine, miserere mei, hei mihi. Ecce, vulnera mea non abscondo, medicus es, eger sum, misericors es, Misersum. Num quid non tentatio est vita humana super terram? Quis velit molestias et difficultates tolerari iubeas eas non amari? Nemo con tolerat amat et si tolerare amat, quam vis enim gaudeat se tolerare, ma vultamen non esse con toleret, Prospera in adversis desidero, adversa in prosperis timeo. Quis interhec medius locus, ubi non sit humana vita tentatio. Vae prosperitatibus seculi, semelit iterum a timore adversitatis et a corruptione letitiae, vae adversitatibus seculi, semel et iterum et tertio, ad desiderio prosperitatis, et quin ipsa adversitas dura est, et naufragat tolerantia. Numquid non tentatio est vita humana super terram, sine ulo interstitio, et tota spes mea non nisi in magna misericordia tua. That was from Book 10 of Augustine's Confessions, and it had in it one of the most famous phrases ever written by a Christian author. And those words, Sero te amavi, late have I loved you. Some of the most famous in all of Christian literature. They speak uh, immediately to us today because they concern the sweet sorrow of a man who has a sense of having wasted time, uh, precious time, the little bit of time that's allotted to us in this life. Augustine states in the very first paragraph of the Confessions that we were made by God for God, and because of that we can never be at peace or at rest until we are in harmony with him. And so at the instant of our creation, we have written into our very being the need to seek God, to return to him at all times. Now sometimes in his work, actually pretty often, Augustine describes love as a weight, like, a, like gravity, a force like gravity. 
In the ancient world, remember, people thought things had weight because uh, things sought to go to the place they belonged according to a hierarchy of nature. And so when Augustine says, uh, Amor meus pondus meum, my love is my weight, what he's doing is describing the inescapable need for our minds and our hearts to find their proper resting place, which is God and can only be God. Any other created thing cannot ever satisfy us, because in the end, every created thing will always be lacking something. And so God, in a very real way, is so central to who we are as creatures made in his image and likeness, that he is actually closer to us than we are to ourselves. He is the one at our heart's very heart. He's the one at our core's core. He's the perfect, perfectly centered resting place. He's the balancing point of our entire being and the reason why we exist. And so Augustine uh, describes our love as our weight and our very being needs to be at that resting point and so we will always be restless until we rest in him. Now Augustine also describes uh, Christ who is the mediator between God and man also as a doctor or a physician for our souls. He's the one who heals us. Uh, we who are ailing and uh, we who are apart from him. And Augustine uses this image uh, really quite often in his works and in his, in his written works and sermons. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, there is a marvelous moment in one sermon uh, where Augustine starts talking about the doctor and the patient. Remember, in the ancient world, there weren't any anesthetics like we have today, you know, the sort of painkillers that can put us out before a surgical procedure. And in those days, you know, when the doctor came... You know, it was a pretty traumatic experience. And so in one sermon, Augustine says that the doctor does not stop cutting just because the patient is screaming for him to stop. We all have ills to face, every single one of us. And all of our sufferings, remember, and our ills, the evils that we experience in life, our, our uh, obstacles and challenges are permitted by God for the purpose of testing us and strengthening us and even correcting us when we have strayed for him. So think in terms of the doctor, right? He cuts and he cuts and he cuts and the patient might be screaming for him to stop, but he keeps cutting anyway because it's for our good. And therefore, some of us face terrible burdens in life. Every single one of us has burdens. But then again, every single one of us was created in the image and likeness of God, and we were all foreseen by God in his eternal plan. And so one way or another, all the ills and all the joys that we experience in our life are for our good. And so Christ, who is our mediator right between God and man, our soul, our only redeemer, is the one who gives purpose to all of our joys and all of our ills. Our, the evils that we face and challenges that we have, our sufferings and so forth, just as our joys and accomplishments, all of them ultimately have purpose only in reference to him and because of him. So if we are joyful, our joy is increased beyond our human capacity when we offer it and unite it to him. But likewise, our suffering has meaning 
only in reference to Jesus, only in union with him and with his sufferings on the cross can our sufferings and the things we face in life, uh, which are difficult, have any meaning at all. And it's also important to remember that it's never too late to unite ourselves with him in that way. It's never too late to love him. It's never too late to love God. A lot of the ills we experience in life, we bring on ourselves by our bad decisions and uh, especially by our, because of our sins. And a lot of the suffering in our life is, well, all of the suffering in life is a result of sin, both original sin and our personal sin, but also the sins of others. But no matter what uh, the origin of our evils might be, no matter how great our sins might have been, no matter how great we think the gap is that has opened up between us and God, there remains God at the center of our heart. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. He is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And there is no sin that we can commit that is so bad that we can open up a gulf so far that the infinite love and mercy and power of God cannot bridge and forgive and heal. We can't do it on our own, but he can do it. We finite little beings cannot commit a sin so great that we must necessarily be separated from God forever. So long as in this life we repent and we make our confession, we ask for mercy and forgiveness. You know, his justice we are going to get whether we want it or not, but his mercy is always there for the asking, but, but we must ask him for it. And this confession, which is also a profession of faith, must include both the telling out of our sins, but it must also express our confession or profession of faith in him. Now, God then through his power and through his minister, who is the priest, the altar Christus, then takes the stain of our sins away from our souls forever. How important it is, my dear friends, to go to confession. And how important is it then, given this, uh, this, this amazing reality that we profess as Catholic Christians, how important is it then to teach our children to go and make good confessions of all our mortal sins, both in number and in kind, and also to help those who don't know how or who don't go, or people who cannot go easily, who cannot get to the priest with ease. Maybe they're shut in or for some reason. Or how we could help get the priest to them. How important is this? What sort of work of mercy is it that we can perform for the sake of others in helping expand the use of this wonderful sacrament? Because the institution of the sacrament of confession demonstrates... God's promise to us that we need not go into the void. We need not go into that dark place of eternal suffering which we all fear. The place where the worm dies not, as scripture puts it. 
God's forgiveness is ours for the asking, and we must ask for it. And so, so long as we are drawing breath, it is never too late. And nevertheless, nevertheless, we lose time, don't we, huh? when we put it off? So we hear these words of Augustine, Too late have I loved you. Too late have I loved you. Every single one of us are able to repeat those words to ourselves and maybe also to others in a real confession and a profession of faith. Today, Trinity Sunday, we celebrate our faith in a triune God, a trinity of three divine persons having one divine nature. And this is the most fundamental of all Christian truths, and it's the most mysterious of all our dogmas. But it's still so central and essential to our faith that it's really doubtful you can be called a Christian unless you can profess this. Now, in the very early church, uh, the most early church, there was no special feast set aside for the Most Holy Trinity. In fact, the word Trinity doesn't even appear in Scripture. But nevertheless, uh, our uh, as we began to grow in our faith and understand things uh, more perfectly, uh, the doctrine uh, expressions of the uh, our belief in the Trinity began to become clearer. As a matter of fact, uh, in in dialogue with heresies. And to combat the Arian heresy, Catholics developed creeds, and so we come to understand what the nature of the Father is, with the Son, who the Son is, and then who the Holy Spirit is in relationship, in, in a relationship, all the, the persons related to each other. Eventually, uh, there developed canticles and responses and hymns and so forth about the Trinity. And in the ancient Gregorian sacramentary, there are prayers and a preface for the Trinity. So you can see that uh, over time it becomes formalized, even in the liturgical expression. And then uh, Pope John the Twenty Second, uh, who died in 1334, ordered a universal feast in honor of the Trinity on the first Sunday after Pentecost, which is exactly when we celebrate it now. And Pope St. Pius X raised Trinity Sunday to the dignity of a first-class feast, which was very, very high. And with the Novus Ordo, it became a solemnity. And there's logic to the timing of when we celebrate uh, Trinity Sunday, because uh, in, there's, in the last few weeks, we see, you know, there's a focus on different persons of the Trinity. Uh, first, we celebrate the Son's ascension. And who does he ascend to? He ascends to the Father. And then we celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost uh, Sunday. Uh, 
And finally, then, we celebrate the triune God. Because God the Father, he created us through the Son. God the Son redeems us and reveals us more fully to ourselves. And then God the Holy Ghost sanctifies us in Holy Church. So there's a logic to the timing of Trinity Sunday. And if you are faced with trying to explain the Trinity to someone, uh, you might uh, you might consider this. Remembering, of course, that it's impossible to explain perfectly what the Trinity is because it's just too mysterious for us. But we nevertheless need to uh, be ready to give reasons and explanations for the faith and the hope that's in us. So once in a while we'll have to explain who the Trinity is. And so we Christians believe that from all eternity, before material creation, before time itself, the one God desired a perfect communion of love and therefore expressed himself in a perfect word, a perfect outward expression. This was always so, in an absolutely all-embracing single instant of being in which there is no distinction of past, present, or future. There is no sequence of events in the way we observe things. Uh, because we are bound in matter and time. God isn't, so there's no distinction of past, present, and future in God's acts in this sense. And so the word God uttered beyond and outside of time was and is a perfect self-expression containing all that God is, perfectly possessing every characteristic of the speaker, and therefore he possesses being, omniscience, omnipotence, truth, beauty, and personhood. And so, from all eternity, there were always in perfect unity the divine persons, the God who spoke and the Word who was spoken, the God who generates and the God who is generated. True God with and from true God, God the begetter and God the begotten, distinct Father and distinct Son, having the same indivisible divine nature. And there was never a time when this was not so. These two persons eternally regard and contemplate each other. From all eternity they knew and loved each other, each embracing the other in a perfect gift of self-giving. And since a self-gift of these perfect divine persons, distinct while having but one divine nature, is a perfect mutual self-gift perfectly given and perfectly received, the very gift between them also contains all that each of the persons have. That is, being, omniscience, omnipotence, truth, beauty, and personhood. And so, from all eternity, there are three divine persons, having one indivisible nature. God the Father, God the Son, and the perfect mutual self-gift of love between them, God the Holy Spirit. This is the foundational saving doctrine we believe in as Christians and which we celebrate on Trinity Sunday. This is the one and three God in whose image and likeness we are made. And at the core of everything else we believe in and hope for, we will find this mysterious doctrine of divine relationship, the triune God.
Pranzo a squarciarelli, fetucine vino dei castelli, come ai tempi belli, che pinelli, immortalò. Well, friends, I think from the music you can tell that I am about to leave Rome for a while. We've gotten to the point where I'm going to go back to the Sabine Farm in the United States, not the one in the hills out near Tivoli, which is where I get the reference, because the ancient Roman poet Horace had a villa out in the Sabine Hills, and that's where he used to love to go to get away from Rome, especially, you know, fast and furious Rome. He'd go out to the Sabine farm and have a calm and quiet where he could reflect and write and uh, live a, a life of otium in negotio, as Augustine himself calls it. So I am going to go back to the Sabine Farm in the United States, and there I will work on a lot of things I haven't been able to put quite as much attention in uh, into while I've been here in Rome. I have a lot of writing to do, and I have some people coming to visit me, uh, including you know, my mother and some friends, and uh, it'll be a, a wonderful period during the summer. And I'm sure I'll probably be traveling around the United States, too. I'll probably you know, have some conferences and some things I'll have to speak at. But uh, off I go. Off I go. I'll leave Rome for a while. But I always bring Rome with me, and you'll be hearing about what goes on in Rome anyway, because that's, uh, that's the world we live in. We're not so limited now because of the Internet. In any event, I hope that you all uh, will come and visit the blog, wdtprs.com. That's Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra.com. And you can leave feedback, too. You can even leave voice feedback. You can uh, leave a little voicemail on the left sidebar of the blog. I have a spot where you can chime in. And if we get good and creative voicemails, I can actually incorporate them into these podcasts. So I hope you'll participate also in that way. God bless you. I hope you and yours are thriving. Thank you.